0: Uh, have been in the middle of our real series, which is a real people, real lives, and a real God. We've done that the last two weeks. But I woke up this morning, and I and uh, God began to speak to me this morning. And I I uh, I believe today that He is trying to talk to someone um, specifically. I believe it's more than just one, um, but I don't believe it's for everyone because I don't believe everyone is going to want to hear what the spirit is saying today, but I'm challenging you for the next few minutes. If you would open up your heart, if you're sincere and you really want to know God and you really, you may not have it perfect. You may not get it all. You might not have all the, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. You may have more good, bad days than good days. I get it. But, uh, i I'm, I'm challenging you today, if you're hungry to listen to what God is saying uh to you today and let the spirit be let your hearing be mixed with faith uh, and let God speak to your heart. There is a principle in scripture that we find uh pretty much throughout all of scripture uh in various ways it's it, it it's not always as clear in some places as it is in others. But if you dig a little deeper, you can find this thread woven throughout Scripture. Uh, One of the interesting places we find this, and I've taught about this before, preached on it, uh, spoken about it. Some of you have heard me uh, speak on this before. Others have preached upon it. But there's a principle in the Scripture in the Gospels where Jesus is talking and he's uh, talking to his followers. And he, he says to them, if the Roman soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile, uh, carry it two miles. And uh, this principle, uh, I preached about, you know, being a two-miler or being a two-mile person in a one-mile world. Um, And we see this principle of going beyond what's expected carried out throughout Scripture. Uh, There is always a tendency in human nature uh, that is sort of a default mechanism for us in human nature uh to want to do the minimum. what do I need to do what 's where what do i what 's the what what 's the amount I need to get to um and once I reach that threshold that 's sort of where i find okay i've i 've reached the pinnacle i 've reached the top that 's enough that 's it that 's all i 've got to do now I can just maintain if you 've ever tried to uh you know have a goal in your life, that goal is something that you look for, you work forward. but when you get to that goal, then the next question is, what's next? Uh, today, it's Sunday, right? And today, there are going to be uh, uh, men that take a football field all across this nation, and thousands and thousands and more than likely millions of people are going to stop their day today, and they're going to watch these guys take the field today, And these guys are going to give up their body. They're going to sacrifice their body. Some of them are going to end up getting hurt today. Some are going to end up getting injured. Some may even hurt themselves to the point they can never longer play football again today to reach a goal. And that goal is simply this. At the end of the season, they want to be the last team standing. They want to be the team holding up the trophy. And they want to be crowned Super Bowl champions. And so they get up every morning and they work for that goal. They get up. Every day with that in mind to get better, to progress, to get better, to try to become that next one extra sprint, one extra rep in the gym, one extra, uh, uh, an extra hour in the meeting room, an extra hour at practice. Why? Because they're reaching for a goal. The problem is when you get to that goal, then what? You're standing on the podium and they're handing you the trophy and you lift it up in the air and the crowd cheers and we have won the Super Bowl. And you go back to your city and there's a parade and all the people cheer because you've won. You've achieved. But in a couple of months from there, just a couple of months, it's all starting over again. You'll have the memory of that victory. You'll have the memory of that moment. You'll, you'll still be able to relish that moment for the rest of your life. And then eventually they'll give you a ring and you can wear a ring around and you can show everybody what you accomplished. But next season's coming. And next season, when you step on the field next season, the guys that are across for you don't really care you won the championship last year. In fact, it actually might make them play harder because you won last year. So you're not going to be able to tell the guys that are lining up on the other side that are wearing a different color jersey, you're not going to be able to tell them, listen guys, take it easy, I'm the champion. Hey guys, don't play so hard today. In case you're wondering, I won the Super Bowl last year. No, next year you're going to have to work just as hard, if not harder, to maintain what you got this year. But we don't really operate like that. That's why so many of us, we, we, we set goals and we get to that goal, we get a momentary payoff. There feels like there's something there that, that, that makes us feel like, okay, I've look what I've done, I've accomplished it. But then the reality of it sinks in because now where do I go next? What do I do next? January 1st comes and you go, okay, uh, this year I'm going to lose 30 pounds. And you start to work so hard. You're eating food and you're, wor- you're, you're, you're going on your walks and you're fit and making sure you're getting your steps in. And you get to your 30 pounds. Let me ask you this. When you get to that 30-pound weight loss or 50-pound weight loss or whatever your goal is, can you finally say, well, I did it. That's it. I'm done. All right. Back to what I was doing before. All right, back to, well, goal accomplished. Now I can just sit back and relax. No, what you find is you get to that goal. You have to work just as hard to stay there as you did to get there. But we don't operate like that a lot of times. We don't operate with that mindset. We want to kind of reach that goal. What do I need to get to? I want to get to that, okay, done. That's over with that's the same mentality that we kind of take into our understanding of God. And that is, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And when we ask that question, in some ways there is a desire to for the answer, but there's another part of it is, tell me the sort of baseline I need to get to. I'm not knocking this question. It's a very legitimate question. What do I need to do to be saved? Well, we know that Scripture is very clear on what it takes to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be able to walk with him. It's very simple. The Bible says we're to repent. We're to be baptized in his name and to be filled with his spirit. But let's be frank. There are people that are watching here today that you have been walking with the Lord for many years now. You've gone through this process. You, were, you did repent. You did, uh, you did get baptized, and you were filled with His Spirit. But can I be honest with you? If you could tell that story today, was that the end? Could you simply say, okay, that's done. Now what's next? Because now I don't have to do anything else. Or do you realize that getting to that point was only a step in the process? Because there's another step. That's mile 1, but now we got to move on to mile 2. Now we got to move on to mile 3. There's never going to be a point in time where we say, "Okay, that's enough. We've done enough. I'm done. I'm out." You see that's where we are in our world today. It's what can I what what do I need to do? What's the what's the requirement? Now this may work in school. You know what do I need to do to graduate? And you sit down with your advisor and they lay out a plan for you and they say, well, you get this many credits and you do this, we'll give you this diploma. But let's be frank, for those of you in your job, when you got to your job, you didn't quit learning. It was just a next step. You see, the Bible says where there is no vision, people perish. Now we can take that in many different ways, but in our own personal life, there is a danger in losing vision. There's a danger in living this way. Yes, doing the one mile requirement is what's necessary. But are you ever really going to be able to to really walk with Jesus with a one mile mentality? I don't want to even go down these roads today. But I have to ask the question, can you be saved, truly saved with a one mile mentality? Can you be saved? Because let's be frank, right? We talk about this is a relationship between us and God. So let's use another example here today of other relationships that we can maybe relate to that will be a little clearer. Maybe you're in a marriage or a relationship like this. If you are, it's not very healthy and more than likely it's not going to last But if you're in a relationship right now or you're married and you and your spouse have come together and your agreement is, okay, honey, tell me what I need to do to stay married. Tell me what I need to do to stay married. They could give you a list of things to do today. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. And you could fulfill that list, you could check every box off that list. But can I ask you, would that be a healthy marriage? Would that be a healthy relationship? Now, maybe you're in a relationship like that today, and that's okay with you. That's your prerogative. But most of us would not agree with that. Most of us would not agree with a relationship that was based off of your spouse telling me, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. And you giving your spouse a list of check boxes every day. And okay, once you get that done, you're done. You're good. Move on. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. You're free. You get those boxes done and the rest of the day is yours. So you get up in the morning, you tell me you love me, you know, you you do a few errands for me or you do the chores for me or whatever you need to do, and when you're done that, you're good for the rest of the day. You go live your life however you want to. I'm okay with that. No true marriage, no true relationship would be built on that premise. Because true relationship True connection in that marriage is not built on what's the minimum. It's built on what you do to go beyond what's expected. What Not what you're being told to do as the minimum requirement. But what are you doing that's going beyond? That's what makes relationship healthy. Because in most marriages, you start off, most marriages start off very selfish. It takes a while It takes some failure. It takes some frustration. It takes some struggle and some fight to the point where most people are willing to humble themselves. And men are slower than this than women. Women usually get this better than men because women by nature are givers. Men are not. Men are selfish. Men are takers. Men are focused on themselves. And most men, it takes a while to get there. I said all that because this morning I believe God's trying to talk to someone today. Because your whole premise and how you view God is just basically, God, tell me what I need to do. What's, where's the minimum threshold? And once I get those things built, okay, the rest of my life is mine to do whatever I want. And God is asking you today a question. We're going to get to that question in just a moment. And he's wanting to know something today. Because if you live that way, there's some great concern I have for you today. Are you coming on here today, this morning, to listen and find out, okay, what do I need to do today? Show me, tell me what I'm supposed to do. What is that? Or are you coming today say, God, speak to me because I want to I know you. I want to go beyond where I'm at today. I don't want to maintain, I want to go beyond. I read this last I read this several weeks ago um and I want to re- I want to give it to you again today. Revelation chapter 3 is the um, um the letter that John's writing in the book of Revelation and he's writing these letters as God is revealing to him the condition of these churches. And I read it to you a couple weeks ago. We talked about knocking at the door. And that is the Laodicea church. And remember what happened in the Laodicea church. I'll read it again. He said, these things, says the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And here's why he was so frustrated with them. He was frustrated with them because this is what they were saying. Verse number 17. I am rich. I've become wealthy. And have need of nothing. Meaning I have reached my goal. I've reached my pinnacle. I've reached sort of the, the level I'm trying to get to. And now that I'm there. I'm good. That's it. Now I'm maintaining. And he says. That mentality makes me want to throw up. That's what. Really strong language coming from God. It's really strong language. The fact that Jesus Christ, the love, the, the, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy, looks at these people with such disdain that he wants to vomit. And the reason why is because they said they're rich and they have need of nothing nobody and no thing. Meaning they had reached a level in their life, they had reached their goal, they had reached their pinnacle, and that was it. They're done. I'm out. Now I can just maintain. And that was driving God crazy. He said, I'd rather you be hot, or if I I can't take hot, be cold. Be cold. But this whole thing where you're just living in this existence just drives me crazy. He said, well, What are you driving at? Well, let's go a little further here today. We know Jesus was on this earth for about three and a half years in ministry. Spent 33 and a half years on this earth. 30 of those years he spent from the the age of 12 to 30, 18 of those years he spent in relative ambiguity. He was a carpenter living in Nazareth. Uh, going about daily life like any other normal Jewish boy and Jewish man. At the age of 30, we find that he comes and he is baptized by John the Baptist. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, comes back out. His ministry begins and, you know, it's sort of off to the races at that point in time. We find that he is absolutely swamped everywhere he goes. Crowds follow, people follow the broken, the hurting, the lame, all of them follow him um, in his ministry. Crowds are huge pressing towards him. I mean, you got to think about this. This is in the first century. But he goes out to the hillside and 5,000 men, not including women and children, five 5,000. got to be more than 5,000, but that was just the men. 5,000 are out there just to hear him speak. So, Everywhere he went, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were gathered around him. But if we look beyond just the crowd, we find that there was actually layers in all of this. You had the crowds that when he showed up to a place like a Capernaum, which was a city, or he showed up in the Galilee region, or he showed up in other towns other places that he would be thronged by the city, by the people of that city. But then there was another group that went with him. These were the followers. These were people that were more than just uh, showing up for the moment, but they were investing their time and their effort, their energy. They were following Jesus around, um, from place to place. In fact, uh, there were several of them that sort of wanted to go with them. They said, well, I'll follow you. And that was the one where he said, Hey, well, if you're going to follow me, you know, uh, um, go home and, 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 and sell everything and come follow me. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You can't do that. And he followed me. And he's like, I've got, well, I, I could come later, but I got to go home and bury, uh, bury my father and and the other guy's like, well, I would follow you, but I've got, uh, I just i just bought a field. and I've got to go out and, and test the oxen on the field. So we knew there was a group of people that went with Jesus everywhere he went. There was a pretty good group. What that group size was, we don't know, but it was smaller than the crowd. We got the thousands of thousands of thousands that were showing up wherever he went. But then we have this other group that's following him. I believe there was this group that, You know, this was a group that Mary Magdalene would have been a part of. People like that. That were invested. They were connected. They were, they were they. it wasn't just simply they were showing up. But they were, they were were walking with him to their degree. But then you have another group. Now these group, you could only get into by invitation. You see, there's a separation here, right? So the first large group, the thousands of people. They come to Jesus to get their needs met. Most of us today start off coming to Jesus Christ because we recognize there is a need in our life that we cannot solve. Whether it's the need for salvation, whether it's the need for healing, whether it's the need for for peace or hope or life or strength or whatever it might be. There is something that draws us to Jesus Christ because we realize the frailty of our humanity. We realize the limitations of who we are and therefore we need him. And it draws us to him because we come to him and we say, God, I can't do this without you. I need you. I need you. I need you. That's what brings us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? It's this acknowledgement that some area in our life, whether it's our sin, whether it's our, our heart, our mind, our life, our family situation, our career. There's something that we have come up against that we realize this wall ain't moving. I don't have anything equipped in my life to be able to overcome this obstacle. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's a broken dream. Maybe it's a a a deep, dark place of sin in your life. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's hurt you carried from when you were a child. Something draws you to Christ. Something compels you because you recognize He's the answer. There's an old song sung by Andre Crouch. I still love the song today, but it's a very simple song, and it still rings true today. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. That was the same then. It's the same now. Jesus is the way. There's no arguing that. That's what brings us here. We start there. But then there's another group that comes out of that. You see, Mary Magdalene was a part of that group. She came to him because she had a need. This was a woman who did not have the greatest reputation. This was a woman who had a lot of shame and baggage in her life. And Jesus offered her hope. Jesus offered her strength. Jesus offered her peace. Jesus offered her a way out. And when he gave her that, she went a little further. She was a part of the group that walked around, and it wasn't good enough to hear what he said one day. Now they want to hear what he has to say every day. And they're hanging around him, and they're they're getting to see him more often. They're not just coming to church on Sundays and getting their weekly fix. There are people that are going a little beyond that. They're, they're saying, okay, where what else can I hear this week? Where else can I get... Teaching and ministry. I, I don't want to just be a one person or once a week or a, or a Christmas or Easter type Christian. I want to go beyond that. Okay, that's great. That's, that's the second group. That's the second group of people. But then there's a separation that takes place. You see, the first two stages, you come on your own. Jesus did not have to announce his arrival When he'd walk into a town, his mere presence would draw crowds to him. Would draw the hurting, would draw the broken. He didn't have to give an invitation. Hey, if you're sick today, I'll heal you. They came to him because they knew if he was sick, if they were sick, he was going to heal. From that, there was a group that separated beyond that, that their desire was to know more about this healer. Those are the first two levels of Movement in our life. We we come to God because of a need, and then we stay because we want to know more about this healer. But there's a separation between group two and then the next group. You see, there's a a separation that comes from God. Because how do I get from group two? How group one? Okay, I gotta acknowledge I have a need. I come to Him. You might be in group one today. You're coming to God. You don't really know anything about God, but you acknowledge oh, you've got a need. You need help. Okay, God, help me. You've got that. Check. You're now in group one. Now you feel you want to go to group two. God's met me here. I know he's real. He's shown me he's real. He's healed me. He's forgiven me. He saved me. He's given me peace. I get all that. Now I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to, I want to understand a little more about who this God is. So now I'm moving out of group one. I'm moving into group two. But then there's a third group. This group we know as the 12. But you couldn't just get into this group because you wanted to. This group had an initiation. That initiation was you had to be compelled, asked, drawn, invited into this group. This invitation only come from one person. It had to come from Jesus himself. Simon, Andrew, follow me. John, James, follow me. Matthew, follow me. They didn't come up to him and say, listen, we've been watching you for a while. We think you're pretty cool. Would you let us go with you? That's group two. But group three, group three is a little more. You see, the second group You can get some things about God. You can see God. But it's still limited. But group three, you have access to him. You're getting access to him because he's invited you into connection. He's invited you into intimacy. I was teaching the other day to our leaders and I made the main mention of this fact. That uh, some scholars call it Jesus' retreat ministry. What they mean by this is is that Jesus many, many times would go off alone with just himself and the disciples, nobody else, just them, and one particular guy scholar that I was uh, researching he put together a timeline based off his uh, research and i don't know if you can say it's 100 percent accurate but it had some very compelling thoughts to it and that was he estimated that there was up to 18 months of jesus's ministry was spent in what we call this retreat ministry meaning jesus is on this earth for about three years in ministry little more than that but about three years Half of his time was spent with just these twelve men he had brought into intimacy. Think about how important that must have been to him that he was willing to neglect the crowds for half the time you got people by the thousands that are broken that are hurting, but yet he felt it was that important to invest time in these eight these twelve guys that half the time he was only with them. What does that tell you something that tells you that there's access to God? you're only getting about half of what's available to you until you respond to that call of intimacy. You see, if 18 months, now follow me for a second. We're going to move some pieces around on the, on the board here, but I want you to see this. Because you say, well, what's the difference between group two and group three? Well, here's the difference. Group one, you're experiencing God in the moment of need, Right? You're sick, you're broken, you're hurting. But how many times did he say he healed them, told them to go and to sin no more? Go tell no one, but you're healed. We don't hear anything about these people the rest of the time. Our assumption is they had a moment encounter with God and then they went off and lived the rest of their life. Now, whether or not they ever came back and had connection with Jesus, we don't know, but most of them, he healed thousands and thousands. Most of that was in that moment, and from that, it's gone. Now, group two, group two is a little more committed. They're following Jesus around everywhere he was, but they weren't a part of this retreat ministry. This other group wasn't a part of this 12 that he spent all this time with. They would meet up with Jesus wherever he went, but they weren't spending the same time. So that means there was a lot of times that if Jesus wasn't around, they were living their own life. They were doing their own thing. They were back to their job. They were back to their family. They were back to their life as we know it. They were putting God in when it was available or when the option was there or when it was convenient. But they had this balance between their, their world and his world, and they lived in this balance. So they got some benefit out of that because they were connecting with Jesus. But they didn't get the full benefit of intimacy because they had some things in their life they hadn't yet given up. We would say in our world today they wanted their cake and eat it too. They weren't bad people, but they hadn't fully bought out. They hadn't fully committed. But then we read in the book of Mark, and it's repeated in the other gospels, when Jesus gave the invitation to the twelve, and he walks up to these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, who were fishermen, and said to them as they are in the middle of their work, follow me, the Bible says this is their response. They left their nets and followed him. He went down the the dock to the next set of brothers, James and John, and says to those guys, hey, follow me. And those two dudes looked on the boat, saw their dad, Zebedee, standing there and said, Dad, we got to go. So there was a separation in group two and group three. And one with the separation was group three was sold out. Group two was part time. You see, How do I get from group two to group three? I got to be full time in this. What does it mean to be full time? That's between you and God. But that means I'm not living my life over here. And then God fits when he's available or when I can fit him in. That means every day I get up, it's fully submitted to him. My mind, my heart, my being, my finances, my job, my career, my life, everything is his. Nothing I have belongs to me. Group two, they give the minimum. Group two says, okay, all right, I'll give the minimum. I'll pay my tithes because it's respected in me. Group three doesn't just say, oh, you know what? I'll pay the minimum. Group three says, God, what can I keep? Because everything else you can have because it doesn't belong to me anyways. That's that's one of the things between group two and group three. If you're still paying your monthly dues to God, Call it ties, whatever it is, but it's a your membership fee to God, so you can stay okay and stay in the club, you're still in group two. You're not in group one anymore. Group one doesn't give anything. All group one does is receive five loaves, two fishes, healing, deliverance. Group one is in receiving. Group two, there's a little desire to give, give, but you're only gonna give so much. But when group when there's a call to go into group three. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to get in group three, here's what you're going to do. You're going to deny yourself, meaning you're going to give up ownership of everything you have. You, your money, your time, everything belongs to me now. You're going to deny yourself. Oh, by the way, you're going to take up your cross, meaning you're going to embrace suffering because suffering is a part of the package. That means if you want to be a part of group three, you're going to have to give up ownership of everything. And then secondly, you're going to end up having to be willing To sacrifice and be a part of suffering. Meaning not everything in your life is going to go right. Not everything in your life is going to be perfect. There are going to be hardships. There's going to be difficulties. It's baked into the bread, baby. Group two don't want that. Group two still wants some comfort. When the road gets hard, group two is like, all right, I'm out for right now until it eases up. Then I'll jump back in. Group three, you're sold out. Nothing else belongs to you. You've given up ownership of everything, including yourself. You've taken up your cross, meaning you've embraced the journey, good or bad. If you're suffering, you're suffering for his sake. The fellowship of his suffering now has the idea that if you're suffering, you're suffering for intimacy, not suffering for punishment. last couple weeks in the interviews we did with Christine Keller, in her interview, said it before when she was talking about, What she got, when her and God, she would judge her circumstances off. what have I done wrong because I must be being punished. But when God changed that relationship between him and her, now it's no longer being punished. She's embracing the suffering. Christine, can I tell you the reason why that's the case? Because you move from group two to group three. Group two, that's religion. That's getting us the minimum. That's getting our box But group three, now that's the group. Because group three has been called out of religion into intimacy, into relationship. But there's some things you've got to do. You've got to give up ownership. You've got to be willing to lay it all down. You've got to be willing to embrace suffering to follow him. we got a lot of group twos watching today. But I want to know how many of you are willing to go to group three. How many of you are willing to go to group three? Okay, you're not group one. There's some of you today, you're group one. Stay in group one. That's where you are. That's where you're coming. That's okay. Be group one. We all start off in group one. But if you're already in group one, you might want to move to group two, meaning, okay, what's that next step? Now I'm not just coming to get something from God, but I'm also trying to come to go beyond, to understand that this is a relationship. It's a two-way street. Okay, great. But some of you have then lived and existed in group two. But what about group three? God's saying to you, Follow me. Been preaching it now for three years. Follow me. Come on. Come on. Follow me. You can't follow him if you're not willing to give up ownership of everything money, finances, life, your career, your dreams, your desires, your hope. It's all yours, God. And I'm embracing suffering. I'm not going to judge you because my life's not perfect. I'm not going to judge you because things in my life aren't going according to plan. If I'm suffering, I'm suffering for your sake. If I'm hurting, I'm hurting for your sake. I find joy in my trials. That's group three. But then watch this Matthew chapter 26. Verse number 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, this was the 12, right? This is group three. Sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now, if you don't know who the two sons of Zebedee is, we are told in the beginning of Mark who the two sons of Zebedee are. That's James and John. So you get it now we see a fourth group. There's other places where we see these three fellows, but this is a really good example. So group one, group two, group three, he brings group three into the garden and says, okay, group three, you sit here. Now, group four, come a little farther. And group four, Peter, James, and John, they go deeper into the depth of the garden into a greater amount of sacrifice, into a greater amount of suffering. Now they're getting into the dark depth of intimacy, but also into the rawness of the human experience. Now there's nothing left. But watch this. I believe that there was a fifth group that they missed out on the first time around. Because watch what happens. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to him, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And 39, he went a little farther and fell on his his face and prayed. Jesus was in group five. Group one, got the Group two, got that. Group three, we see the separation. Now Jesus took group three and pulled some more out into group four. There was a deeper place of intimacy. But then there was a fifth group that was forming. He said, I'm going to go a little farther. There's a fifth group. We finally, that fifth group come to pass in the book of Acts. But there was an option right there in the fifth group. Jesus went a little further. So the question I have here today that I believe the Lord stopped all this to have me ask you. And that is, are you satisfied with where you are? Or are you willing to go a little further? Are you like the book of Revelation church where you said, you know what? I'm rich, I'm full, and have need of nothing. You know, I got some problems in my life today, but it's nothing really I can't handle. I'll be okay, I'll survive. That's what a group two person would say. That's what group two. Group three, you know what they say? Are you leaving too? Hey, Jesus said to the Jesus said to the group three that day, he said, hey, group two's left. They're not here anymore. Are you going to leave? And group three, their response was, where are we going to go? Only you have the words to eternal life. See, group two has options. Group one, you're just surviving. Whatever you can squeeze out of the toothpaste uh, tube for that day, you're happy. Group two, you're following, but you're following God with options. Group 3 you're realizing I ain't got no more options. Forgive my language, but that's it. I ain't got no more options. I'm in it. Where are we going to go? That's what a group three person would say. But a group four, mm. group four, now you're getting to places of depth and intimacy. Now it's not that you don't have any options. Now you don't even have anything. You've completely lost all identity. And now you're becoming hidden fully in Christ. But then there's another step. So a question I have for you today, I believe God wanted me to ask somebody today, are you okay with where you are? Have you reached your goal in God? Is this where you want to be? Are you content? Or do you feel the compelling of the Holy Ghost? Do you feel the spirit of God calling you saying, come, come with me a little farther. Hey, you guys stay here. But you three, come on. You see, every level you go in God, there's less people that will be there. But every level you go in God is a greater place of intimacy. Think about it. Those three guys got to be within earshot and within visual of watching the Son of God take on the sins of the world. Now, what's crazy about this is, I don't know if they were... qualified yet to be in group four because they fell asleep three times. I don't know if they were qualified yet to be in group four. Maybe they hadn't fully embraced the group four mentality. Now, later on, we find that they did. Peter, James, and John became the three three with Paul, the, the main cogs in the entire New Testament church. James became the bishop of Jerusalem. Peter took the, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles and was one of the main leaders of the church, John the Revelator. We know these men. With Paul, these four guys were the foundation, the pillars of the, word, the, the, the New Testament. I don't know if they got there yet. I don't know if they were fully there yet, in that moment because they fell asleep three times. And it's bad enough to fall asleep watching me this morning. Or if you're in church and you fall asleep, uh you're in a church service, you fall asleep, okay, well that's really disrespectful. You should try to stay awake. You know, oh but we've all been there. We've been tired before, you know, I've I've been there before, I've been tired and I've done the whole I'm going to pray. You know, you do that thing where you're praying, but really it's a moment to get some sleep. And then you wake up, you're like, ooh, praise God, that was great. Thank you, Jesus. We've been there, right? You've all been there. We've been exhausted trying to stay awake. That's bad enough. But to do that, when Jesus is over there taking on the sins of the world, just absolutely crazy to me. So I don't know if they were yet fully in group four. But Jesus was always asking his followers to go a little more, go a little further. 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 Okay, you've reached your pinnacle. Go a little further. You've reached your stop, your, your point. Would you go a little further? Would you go a little further? Are you going to be a one-miler and be happy? Or were you willing to go a second mile today? And that's what I believe the Lord wants me to ask you today. If you're watching today. You're watching not because you're supposed to, you're watching because this is a divine appointment this morning. I believe that in the Holy Ghost, that this is a divine appointment with you and Jesus today, and he wants to know, are you willing to go a little further? What are you willing to let go of so you can go a little further? You see, I've used this example before, but a lot of us are holding on to things that as we reach forward, we can't quite grasp what's ahead of us because we haven't let go of what we're holding on to. And to go to that next step, sometimes you're going to be willing to let go of some things so you can reach. A lot of times with God, and I don't know, let me move over here. I don't know if I can get my whole entire arms in the frame or not. Close. So if I'm holding over here, a lot of times what I'm reaching for is just going to be out of my reach. I can't reach it. I can't reach it. And I can reach. But as long as I have a hold over here, I'm never going to be able to fully reach. And I've got to be willing to let go here and reach over here. Which means there's going to be a brief moment of time as I let go that I'm going to feel like I've got nothing. But that's where my faith activates. And I reach forward to the prize, to the thing that's ahead of me. And I forget that what's behind me. And I look forward in faith, in connection to what's in front of me. And there's going to be a brief moment in time I feel like I'm lost. I've lost my mind. I don't have anything. I feel like in this moment of time, I feel like I'm out here in the middle of nothing. God's left me. But it's because I'm in the moment of letting go to grab a hold of what's ahead of me. I believe that's where we are at Antioch West and as a whole. We're letting go to hold on to something new, but we're in that stage of, ins- of, un- of-, of insecurity. We're in that stage of transition, and it feels like right now we can't-, we can't hold on to the old, but we haven't grasped a hold of the new. God, what are you doing? How do I make it through there? It's faith, Antioch West. We've got to believe what God's doing is what God's doing, and we're moving forward, and we're going to believe in that. We're going to walk in that, but we're in that moment of letting go to hold on to what's in front of us. And right now as a church, we're in that moment. This is where we are. We're letting go of some things that we had to let go of to grasp a hold of what God has for us in the future. But we haven't really obtained that yet. So we're kind of just floating in the middle of this transition period. How do we get through this? We've got to activate our faith to know God, forgetting the things that are behind, pressing towards the mark. But God's asking you today, all of you today that are watching, would you go a little further? Are you willing to go a little further today? Are you okay with where you are? Are you satisfied with life? Are you saying, I'm a, I've am got enough. I don't need anything else. I've got enough of God. I'm full. I'm it. I don't need any more of God. Or is there something in you today that says, God, I want a little more. I need a little more of you. I want more of you. I want to go a little further. He's compelling and inviting some of you to leave group 2 and come into group 3. Some of you in group 3, he's finally saying okay, you've been in group 3, but are you willing to go a little farther in group 4? Maybe you're in group 1 today and God's asking you to get into group 2. But he's asking all of us to evaluate where we are and to ask ourselves the question, is this it? Are we good? Or we're just going to maintain from here, check off every Sunday, find out what we need to do. What do I need to do, pastor? What do I need to do, uh, discipleship group leader? Tell me what I need to do. Okay, got all that done. All right, I'm good. This is it. I've done my requirement. Now I'm, I'm I'm okay. Got that out of the way. Or is there something in you that says, you know what, I don't want to know what I have to do. I want to know and find out what he has for me to do. That's what he's asking today. He's calling and asking us today. He's asking us. What is he asking of you today? Some of you, as I've said this to you today, he has asked, and there's a scripture here, I'm just trying to find it for a moment. He's asking you today to go a little further. He's compelling you To go a little further. But. There's also things as he has. Talked today as God spoken. There's some things I would imagine as. This has gone out that he's identified. If you want to go a little further. You're going to have to give that up. But God there's nothing wrong with it. You're right there is nothing wrong with it. But you can't have that and have me too. That might be a, a dream. That might be a. Certain you know what, that may be something you're holding on to, but it means more to you than God. And he's wanting to know, if you want more of me, you got to let that go. The Bible said it was hard for a rich man to be saved. Why? Because it's hard for him to give up everything he's worked for to be able to embrace God. Does God want you to be broke? No, that's not what he's meaning. He might mean be broke, but meaning his riches and his money meant more to him, and he wasn't willing to say, okay, God, if you want it all, I'll give it all. That's why when the young, the young, rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, he said, okay, if you want to do that, go sell everything you have. And the guy's like, I can't do that. Do I really believe God would have had him sell everything he had? Maybe, maybe not. But he had to be willing to sell everything he had. That was the problem. It wasn't necessarily he would have done it. It was he wasn't willing to even put that on the table. That's not for negotiation. And Jesus said, I Can't do it. I'm not going to have anything left off the negotiation block. Everything has got to be put on the table. I may take it, I may not, but you got to be willing to give it to me if you're going to go to the next phase. Come. Come on. Come. Well, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from going to the next phase? Only God knows what that is. And I guarantee you, in the Holy Ghost right now, he's identifying that in your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How much does that mean to you to hold on to without letting go and saying, God, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do. That's the question. Are you willing to go a little further? And what are you willing to give up to go a little further? You have to give up some nets. Is he asking you to give up some nets? Are you holding on to your nets? Are you trying to bring your nets? I preached that a couple weeks ago and I asked the question, what nets are you holding on to? That's the question you have to ask. Are you willing to let go so that God can take you to the next place a little further, come a little further? That's the call of the Holy Ghost today. The question is, are you going to answer that call? Are you going to hear what the Spirit is saying to you today? I've only delivered what God has told me to say. Now you've got to determine what you're going to do about it. According to your faith, so be it unto you. In Jesus' name.